Hi folks, it's Kian here, and this is a transitional episode. It's maybe the last or one of the last episodes of the show that I called Wide Atlantic Weird for so long. It may be the first or one of the first episodes of a new podcast. I guess you could consider this to be episode zero of what I'm going to be calling the Lost Valley podcast. And this is something, it's a change of direction that I think I probably needed for some time to keep me interested, keep me excited. And before I say too much more about that, uh, I'm going to do a few housekeeping things. So just um, on the foot of the last episode with Cameron McCormick, which was well received, I want to say thanks to Danny Danny Catraw, as he's known online, uh, for, for sending coffee my way. Uh, thanks to Laura, who listens. And um, when I was wondering about um, oh, a mystery cryptid, that is supposed to wear a flannel shirt. Uh, Laura sent in a, a, a message to say that this is, in fact, I didn't imagine this, it's from a book called Monsters Among Us by none other than Linda Godfrey, who I kind of alluded to without naming in the last episode. She's the person associated with popularizing the modern dogman cryptid, but she has written on a wider range of things. And indeed, the, the yeah, the mystery cryptid known to wear a plaid shirt or a check shirt so huge thanks to laura for that and i want to make a correction I, I mentioned a book in the last episode i was trying to think of a book and an author i thought it was the bigfoot filmography but it was in fact and i think that's by david coleman but you know, what i should have mentioned was in fact cryptid cinema by stephen Bissett. and so made a little mistake there and, and even more embarrassing was that I made that mistake in my post hoc voiceover where I normally take great care to check things like this, but I mixed up my books about uh, Bigfoot movies. So there you go. Anyway, the Lost Valley podcast, what does this mean? Well, I, I should probably say a few things about White Atlantic Weird, how it started, how it finished. Um, I liked paranormal stuff when I was a kid. And then probably in college when I was studying science, I suppose I put away childish things, as they say. And, you know, I kind of came back into my life much later. I think one of the things about getting to a certain age is returning to the stuff you enjoyed as a younger person. And certainly being my age, um, remembering a time when you couldn't get access to easy information about stuff compared with how it is now. And so, you know, being able to get, you know, vast amounts of information on these stories that I knew, you know, only fragments of was was very exciting. And I suppose the initial brief for the show, as I always said, I wanted to be critical but not cynical. I went through various other taglines like, um, oh God, what the Irish Fortean show? Um, why do people believe weird things? Which I think I'm kind of bored of now. I think I think we know the answer there. And I think there's a lot of shows that do that. And I think what made the show unique. Um, isn't so anymore if it ever was uh, and I think going back and listening to old episodes I think the influence of certain shows who I still still like is, is very there and I'd rather finally after all this time uh, stake a claim in something slightly different and try and probably not help myself here audience wise by zeroing in on something and being and being far more specific um, as we'll get to I think yeah, my initial brief was to be as open-minded as I could. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with the term skeptic, though I certainly wasn't an out-and-out -out believer. Uh, I still, 
I still had this idea that, you know, there were genuine mysteries, there were things we didn't know, and um, there were stories for which we didn't have good answers. And over the four or five years I've been doing the show, almost all of those have had, you know, reasonably plausible, better explanations put forward by somebody or other. Um, and a lot of them just with the slightest bit of critical thinking uh, and and looking into the original story, the original data, the original sources, almost all of them disappear, you know, at the merest light of day, they shrivel away like a vampire. There are today very few stories about which I think there is really a genuine mystery. There, are, there's, These stories are still of interest and why people were fascinated by them is still tremendously important to me. And I will always wonder about that. There are stories about which, you know, we don't know the details. But I, I think that, you know, the idea of something supernatural happened is probably not the most convincing idea, even if we don't know all the details. So, yeah, I, I genuinely went into this um, wanting to give things the best the best shake. And one of the very first episodes I did, um, actually, the show started out as something different. I think at the beginning... Who is going to be called Off the Wagon, and I was going to work with my friend Ali a bit more, and we were going to cover a wide range of things. It was going to be a bit sillier. It was just going to be a clearinghouse for, you know, whatever I happened to be interested in that week. But after about three episodes, I kind of realized I wanted to do exclusively paranormal stuff, you know, arguably with an approach that I felt wasn't that common. So yeah, I wasn't comfortable with the term skeptic. The whole skeptical community was undergoing... Uh, a lot of controversy at the time and um, some big names were being outed for poor behavior is, is the most polite way I can put it and um, but even that probably wasn't why I was uncomfortable with the term I suppose it it implied to me that somebody was going in with an attitude you know if you call yourself a skeptic it means you out and out don't believe in any of this stuff regardless of what the evidence might be and I didn't really want to come in with that attitude it's 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 nothing more than if I've, if I've grown more sceptical, whether or not I'm comfortable with that term, calling myself that, it's only because I spent years looking into this stuff and there's not a whole lot to it in terms of li things literally happening. Now, for some folks in this realm, whether the thing literally happened is not at all the most interesting thing. Not at all. Uh, it's it's why and, and what does it mean to us and all this other stuff, but... I think I think I've done a fair job covering all of that, and you know, over the years, I've hit a lot of my marks. I've achieved a lot of a lot of the things I want to. I think I found a voice and managed to get my ideas out there in a way that I was happy with, um, and I managed to address a good number of the topics I wanted to. And eventually, I got a good number of the people whose work I really uh, respected. I got them on board either to be on the show or just send me on some information or or communicate or be part of the show in some way so i've kind of hit almost everything i re i wanted to i i think we, we as i'll explain the lost valley podcast will have some elements of the older show still in it and i think listeners will will still like it so yeah i'm doing this off the cuff i'm not using notes for structuring this it's going to be straight off the dome so hopefully I might be I might meander a little bit but yeah and I suppose one last thing about which I don't want to say too much but during covid the behavior of some of the um you know the parent not necessarily just paranormal community but 
you know, folks who fancy themselves as being non-mainstream in their thinking or their beliefs. Um, their behavior during that time, uh, I didn't always find very impressive. You know, folks who've been doing this longer than me might say it was naive of me to ever expect anything better. So all I can say is, though I, I wasn't exactly surprised, I was still disappointed. And that honestly made me not want to engage with the topic for some time. Um, I went back to uh, back to my childhood uh, store of books, where most of my books still are, and I got a whole bunch of them with this new podcast in mind, brought them to my current house. And this might give you a clue as to the direction that the podcast is going to go. So it's going to be called The Lost Valley. Uh, I'm thinking the tagline will be Lost Worlds in Lore and Literature. Some of the books I got include... Uh, Michael Robinson's The Lost White Tribe, which is all about Victorian explorers. Uh, I've got Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World. This is the Oxford World Classic Edition, which comes with loads of annotations. I don't actually have the annotated Lost World. Um, it's expensive and extremely hard to get now, but if anyone has a lead on that for sensible prices from a part of the world not too far away from me, uh, let me know. I, brought, I also got my Oxford World's Classics version of H.R. Haggard's She. I'm going to put that next to King Solomon's Mines over on the shelf. Um, I've got H.G. Wells' short, uh, selected short stories and The Island of Dr. Moreau and other stories, also by Wells, which includes a lot of his stories about cryptozoology. I've got uh, The Horror of the Heights and Other Strange Tales by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, including as many of his, his cryptozoological tales as I could find as well. I also have the Cryptozoology Anthology, edited by uh, David Coleman, amongst others, who I've mentioned earlier. That is a selection of articles about cryptozoology from men's magazines in America, uh, usually from the 50s through to the 1970s, and most of them have something to do with cryptozoology, and some of them have kind of lost world tales about living dinosaurs found in exotic parts of the world. Uh, I've got Richard Fallon's book, Creatures of Another Age. This is, uh, the, ta the tagline is Classic Visions of Prehistoric Monsters. A lot of this stuff I've either talked about on the show previously or, you know, actually spoken to the authors in, in some cases. Uh, I did have Richard Fallon on to talk about uh, the artwork of The Lost World. But this book, he, which he edited, is a collection of you know, Victorian and slightly later short stories about living dinosaurs in fiction. I have Michael Crichton's Congo from 1917, I think it's 1980, actually. Uh, so that's, in, in a way, is a modern retelling of uh, Haggard's King Solomon's Mines, done in Crichton's sort of inimitable techno-thriller fashion. I also have King Kong Cometh, uh, a book about the history of... King Kong, the writing, the special effects, uh, sequels, the whole bit. And this came out during a, a rush of Kong-related material that you know all came out around the release of Peter Jackson's film in, back in 2005, a time which I remember with uh, some nostalgia. And so that might give you a clue as to the direction of this episode. So it's called The Lost Valley, Lost Worlds in Lore and Literature. I think you can see the idea here, Lost Race and Lost world fiction as a whole. Um, I'll be taking Conan Doyle's Lost World as a centerpiece and hopefully be able to get into it in even more detail than I had before. And, and it was something I, I, 
I covered on a few episodes, but I'm feeling ambitious. I think I might do like one chapter, one episode per chapter. I'm going to dig into every single element of the story and where the inspiration came from, where the characters are. I want to talk about, you know, the character of Lord John Roxton and how he's based on, uh, you know, to some degree he's based on Roger Casement, who was a great Irish patriot and had an incredible life. And I'd love to get somebody on who's a real expert in him because his life is absolutely unbelievable and his connections to the Lost World are astonishing. And, and his personal friendship with Arthur Conan Doyle is fascinating, especially given as one of them was, you know, a, a solid man of empire while the other was, you know, one of the one of the top enemies of empire at the end of his life. So there's, there's great stories to be had there. I'll, I'll, I will return, of course, to the life and writing of Percy Fawcett, who I've talked about extensively in the past and his connections to Conan Doyle and the Lost World and everything I learned uh, there. I I'm fan- I fancy doing an episode uh, just on the cryptozoology of Arthur Conan Doyle, his non-Lost World stories about mystery animals, and there are a few. And I have some ideas about who I'd like to speak to about all of these, but I do hope I will have time occasionally to do solo episodes like I used to. Um, that was something I was very proud of, being able to read so much and then kind of riff off the dome about about uh, the topic and it's something that I just rarely have time for these days but let's let's see if I can make it happen at least occasionally and um, what else I want to I want to cover literally every iteration of the lost world I want to do uh, the 1925 silent film version which will obviously lead me into talking about the life and work of you know special effects pioneer Willis O'Brien later went on to King Kong um, I want to talk about the 1960s Lost World, the 1990s owner, John Rhys Myers. I want to talk about the Silly Ladybird book from the 1980s, uh, in which the, the Professor Challenger is illustrated clearly to look like um, to look like uh, Brian Blessed, who, very sad to say, never never played Challenger, despite um, being the only man, really, <laughs> who was clearly built to play the role. I believe in the, he was slated to play Challenger for the BBC 2001 version, which I, I'm quite fond of. And I might do an episode about that. Well, I, I'll definitely do an episode on it. But So that will naturally lead on to episodes about the further adventures of Willis O'Brien, uh, Marion C. Cooper, King Kong, uh, the fact that Marion C. Cooper was kind of a, you know, one of the one of the last of these kind of turn of the century gentleman explorers, you know. Uh, who made his career going off to exotic places, capturing animals, having adventures, and how he, how much of that he put into King Kong the film, and of course, specifically the character of Carol Denham. I think there's loads to say there. I think King Kong itself is one of the most successful iterations of the Lost World formula there ever has, or probably ever will be. And of course, that leads us to say, like, well, is it a dead genre, or is it one that has, could, can it be resuscitated? Does it need to be? Should it be resuscitated? Uh, you know, if I was writing a, a, lost, a lost world story now, you know, what would the attitudes be? Is it is it inherently colonial? Is it built on tropes that we can't, we just literally can't take seriously now? Is it built on ideas that are like, you know, old fashioned and offensive and best left left in, <laughs> buried? You know, is there or is there something we can do with this? Why am I still fascinated by it? Why is it my favorite genre? Uh, you know, a de- uh, pretty much a dead genre. And and that'll lead us into, you know, Michael Crichton's Congo, a, a blatant attempt to rewrite King Solomon's Mines, uh, which, of course, is 
so yeah we'll be talking about like important predecessors to the last world like all the works of haggard especially king solomon's minds and even more especially she which is my favorite and i have some great people in mind for talking about haggard as you can probably guess from past episodes who those um haggard enthusiasts might be so and, and then there's a lot of other lesser known stories from that time and from even earlier from the 1870s the last haunt of the dinosaur and um, shorter works of fiction that show you know where did this idea come from of surviving prehistoric animals and then of course there's the whole backlog of, of fictional stories about living mammoths and um, which you know i would have spoken about with eddie Mount in the past but i think we can do one episode per story and really get into the weeds and find out where were these ideas coming from and what did each one um add to the story you know and just to return to kong for a moment because i've got the book here you know we'll, we're going to talk about son of kong which is not spoken of very often and, and there's mountains of kong literature literature out there and very little attention comparatively paid to the sequel uh, it is a weaker film in many ways but the stop motion animation is still fascinating it's still you know peak era willis o'brien though I, th I think he supervised and, and maybe didn't have as much to do with it he was less interested in that film but there's some wonderful creatures in it and yeah, I, I think there's some good good ideas come out of there Jeez, have I said enough? There's there's loads here um, that I'm excited about. And I'm going to return to my notebook. I said I was doing this without notes, and that's basically true. But I do have a notebook where I write down things. And I've just been making lists as... Yeah, definitely going to talk about the Congo movie from the mid-90s. I remember seeing it as a kid, and um, I still think it's tremendous fun. There's a whole litany of you know lost world type films from the 40s and 50s most of them aren't very good though i have a soft spot for the land unknown and i think we'll talk about that uh we're gonna oh yeah and i said if you made it this far into my last episode i did mention that i i consider cryptozoology to be fair game on this new show because i sort of categorize cryptozoology as um, a sub genre of lost world fiction i think that is really where it came from in the imaginations of the people who coined it at least in in its modern post-1950s incarnation so i have a list of i don't want to tackle the heavy hitters too much i don't see me returning to your bigfoot or your loch ness monster not very often but i'm looking for lesser known stories so you know stuff like um the journalist Izzard going into the Himalayas in the 50s looking for the, the creature called the, the, the Buru, you know, which which um, was an adventure he had in a book he wrote before the more, his more famous um, adventures looking for the, the abominable snowman on, I think, the Daily Mail expedition. Um, Robert Chambers, of course, wrote a mammoth story, uh, which we covered on, on a previous episode, but I want to get into more depth on that i want to talk about Stuart wavell who wrote a book called the lost world of the east and and that's where we get um, a lesser known dinosaur type cryptid uh, i want to talk more about the cryptozoology of percy fawcett there's a, a small number of mysterious creatures he reportedly he reported seeing um you, you know more than just the the, the well-known giant anaconda story there's a few more things there as well um there is a famous story about miniature plesiosaurs supposedly being sighted in south america uh, i want to talk about a book by uh, c miller called cannibal caravan from 1939 he talks about a, a mysterious dinosaur type creature he calls the roe 
I want to get into early reports of, uh, you know, Congomato's supposed African pterosaurs from books like In Which Bound Africa by uh, Frank Milland in 1923. There's loads and loads of stuff to do here. Um, and I, I think we're going to find new directions as we go. So that's that's like my game plan there. I, I'm not going to try and do this in order. I think that would be insane. Uh, I'm just going it'll, to... It'll depend on who I can get to talk and um, how much reading there is to do, what I've read, what I haven't read. I'm going to get started rereading... I'll pull this out here. Arthur Conan Doyle, The Man Who Created Sherlock Holmes by Andrew Lysett. And I think that'll get me into fettle for you know maybe starting off with arthur conan doyle's uh, pre-lost world cryptozoology stories and then kind of easing my way into the early chapters of the lost world itself that might be one one way to get started not entirely sure how this is going to go and then there's comics you know uh, thunder frank frazetta's lost world comics um stuff like that you know there's a whole other direction turok the 1950s turok comics is a vast you know, like how interesting that by the 50s, Lost Worlds were more almost more common than ever, but they were kind of relegated to, you know, what was seen as juvenile fiction. You know, nobody would take them seriously in, a, in an adult novel. Although as far back as 1912 in The Lost World, Conan Doyle, you know, says, he basically announces that The Lost World is, is a boy's book, you know, in his famous poem at the intro. So even by then, it was seen as a bit childish or a bit silly or a bit... You know, not exactly for grown-ups. And yet, you know, there was still something in there that that he thought was worth spending time on. And, and I, th- I suppose that's when, as people often say, it wasn't the first uh, dinosaur novel, but it was maybe the first time that dinosaur fiction came of age. But, you know, we're going to have to go back to Journey to the Centre of the Earth, obviously. And, and, and even Treasure Island, you know. Because I think pre-Conan Doyle, the most important precedent is H.R. Haggard and King Solomon's Minds and King Solomon's Minds was kind of made on a bet that like I bet I could do something like Treasure Island it was a reaction to the success of Treasure Island so even though Treasure Island doesn't have the fantastical elements that later kind of fantasy fiction has it's you know it's adventure fiction and a lot of the elements you know the map with the blood and uh, traveling to somewhere exotic and all that sort of thing um, you know, not that it was new, but it was modernized in an important way and codified in it, and then further so by, by Haggard. So much so that what I have to keep reminding myself is that by the time Conan Doyle wrote The Lost World, that's remarkable. That's, that's considered late in the game. You know, he thought that he was writing in a well-trod genre. He was, you know, reusing tropes that were by then well-known. And he kind of makes fun of himself several times in the book and implies that it's not something that anyone could really take seriously. Oh, that reminds me, we should talk about um, the, the Shangri-La book, Lost Horizon by James Hilton, 1933, same year as King Kong, and a very famous Lost Race novel, you know, hidden place in the in the Himalayas. So I'll, I'll probably be looking up uh, the, what was it called? The, the Wayback Machine for old websites that don't exist anymore like uh, Jessica Amanda Salmonson's incredible uh, lost race book bibliography website that she used to maintain with hundreds of titles and um, that are harder to find but maybe maybe uh, listeners can help maybe 
you know, Internet Archive can help for stuff that's out of print, out of copyright. I think I think there's a lot of directions we can take in this. So yeah, I think that. Oh, what else am I going? I'm going to change some of the intro outro stuff. I'm going to make it shorter. I want to make it snappier. Um, I'm toying with a persona or a like a fictional location. So you know, I can't get away from the idea of a kind of a a gentleman's club or an explorer's club, like a place where you come in and you sit down and you have a whiskey and and there's you know uh, weird animal stuff hanging on the walls it it's old-fashioned it's it's not it's not uh exactly progressive but it is redolent of the sort of vibe i might be looking to cultivate here it's hard for me to say no to that stuff even if it's a bit a bit icky in some ways um what else yeah i i i probably won't try and come up with beers for the episode anymore i'm not living anywhere where i can get a hold of fancy beers so um i might let that part of it go even though it was popular certainly in the initial years and it is you know that stuff people like a little a little color a little flair i think so anyway i'll, I'll be thinking about it. i am looking to make a new theme music i'm listening to a lot of uh, a sub subgenre known as dino synth which is uh, giving me the kind of vibes i want i've made a little something myself just messing around it's very basic. It might it might do me just to get started. I'm coming up with new logos and stuff like that. And yeah, like I mentioned on the other episode, uh, I'll tweak the the social stuff. You know, I'm going to change the names a bit. I will stay on Instagram. I, I find it quite useful. Um, I probably will stay on Mastodon. Um, and I might make an email address. We'll see. I know there's people who. Um, aren't on those other things but i'm no i'm not going back to twitter even though that is it is the best way to get numbers um but yeah i've, I've decided so I'm, I'm i'm sticking to my decision there so yeah if, if people are listening if you have ideas if you think there's a something that would make the show fun that i haven't mentioned if there's some element of the characterization or the intro or the outro that you think would be fun I kind of want, yeah, I kind of want to f- want wanted to feel like you're you're going into the Royal Geographical Society in years gone by, and listening to people telling tall tales of faraway places. You know, that's that's the vibe I'm gonna go for. Uh, so yeah, let me know what you think. The usual, oh, oh, you know, as as for now, you can you can get in touch on Mastodon, where we're still Wide Atlantic Weird at Home Social, or on Twitter, where we are still Wide underscore Atlantic underscore weird let me know what you think if you have suggestions for books even better if you if you have scans of old hard to find things if you have up in your attic a box of old moldering eagle annuals from the 1950s and they're chock full of these kind of stories and i don't know about them uh, send them my way Uh, if there's some book that you read as a child and it's stuck in your head you know and, and you think it's hard to find now i should know about it get in touch so all right let's let's leave it there folks so uh, hold tight i think we're gonna have a good time um, i think people who've been listening this long are, are gonna like uh, where it's going okay ta-ta